So this morning, as we consider uh, our passage in the book of Matthew, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to read from it, first of all, and then we'll look more in depth. So read with me in Matthew, beginning in chapter 18, and uh, we're going to pick it up right here in verse 15. It says, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, then take with you one or two more that by the mouth of one or uh, uh, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses to even hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two um, of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you for your word. Jesus, you've given us instruction on how to deal with conflict, how to deal with uh, sensitivity, how to deal with offenses. And yet, Lord, so many times we don't deal with things in this way. We, we deal with things just uh, on an emotional level. Um, and, and sometimes the emotions can take over and, and we can do things in a way that really doesn't help that relationship, nor does it show that we're your people. So as part of your kingdom, I pray that you would teach us to live uh, in, in your authority, in your rule. Lord, teach us what it means to deal with one another when offenses and uh, sin comes into a relationship. And Father, we pray that that would have far-reaching effects, not only here amongst us today, but in our family, and amongst our friends, amongst people, Lord, that we work with and go to school with. And so, God, we thank you for this time. We, we pray that our hearts would be open to you. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, Jesus prayed in John chapter 17. His prayer that he repeated over and over again was, Father, I pray that they would be one as you and I are one. So what Jesus prayed for us is that we would be one. Somehow in this unity um, that, that people would see that we are his disciples, that we belong to him. And yet I find that, at many times to be uh, very opposite of the way that sometimes we deal with conflicts and the way that we deal with relationships. And so when Jesus prayed that we would be one as he and the Father are one, um, I'm sure that this isn't any of you, but I'm sure that there's other people that you know that go from relationship to relationship and they can't keep friendships for a long amount of time because eventually someone offends them. Now, again, it's no one in here, I'm sure, but some people, you know, that you might, might know, they, they deal with that. In fact, some people that you know probably in their lifetime have gone from church to church to church because they've been hurt by people within the church and they've bounced around looking for that perfect church in which they could go into and everyone treats them with love and respect and, and everyone is a, a certain way that, that just this acceptance and this sense of uh, none of us hurts one another. Well, if that's you, then uh, I want to get to know you real fast because you won't be around very long. Uh, Because in the body of Christ, not intentionally, not taking it lightly, but but we're sinners. We are 
We are fallen. We are human beings. And as human beings, we're not perfect. And um, there are times when people say, well, I I just don't want to go to the church because there's too many hypocrites. And my message to them is join us because you're a hypocrite too. I mean, all of us to a certain degree are are hypocritical, not intentionally necessarily. Uh, One of my professors in college said, we're not full on hypocrites, we're semis. And, And a semi means we're not intentionally trying to be hypocrites. It's just what I believe and my, my standard is Jesus, right? I will fall short every time. And so in some ways in my life, I'm gonna fall short, not because I'm trying to fall short, but because I'm a human being that has a sin nature. So Jesus has given us some ways to deal with sin within the body of Christ. And that's why our whole theme is the king going through the book of Matthew, the king and his kingdom. Because in his kingdom, he deals with things differently than the world deals with things. I, I find it interesting that even when you look at a team culture, um, you know, the New England Patriots have this crazy, crazy coach uh, named uh, Belichick, uh, a fanatical, fanatical coach. But one of the things that if you are a part of his team, you don't talk to the press about the problems that are going on within your team. I just think that that's good advice for all of us. That if you're going through a problem with your family, you don't go to the press to deal with things that are going on in your family. And if you're going through things in your your church, you don't go to the press to deal with things within your church. So many times, rather than going directly to the source, it's almost like we're trying to get the contingency behind us. We're trying to get as much support for for our side as possible so that we have uh, this evidence so that we can come to the person and say, here's my posse. This is what we think, and this is where you're wrong. And this is not how Jesus says to deal with things. He wants us to deal with things really in humility. In fact, last week, um, he, he began with this in dealing with hum- humility. Remember that in uh, chapter 18, verse 4, Jesus said, Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. So before we even deal with conflicts, it's important that we start off with humility. And and humility is not something that our world really likes. Who likes to be humiliated? No one likes to be humiliated, but we are to come from a place of pursuing humility, which means that when we humble ourselves, we have a choice. Do we humble ourselves or do we want to be humbled? Um, sometimes I, I hear in prayer meetings, God, just humble us, please humble me. It's not a prayer that I pray very often because I want to humble. The Bible says that, that we're to humble ourselves. It says there's a command, humble yourselves before the Lord and he'll exalt you in due time. So I could either pray, God, humble me or I can humble myself. Now, either way, it's gonna happen, okay? So, so you got a choice. We could either pray, God, humble me and God humbles us or we could humble ourselves In fact, when genuine humility is something that happens from the inside out, when we truly desire to humble ourselves, it's because we see who God is and we don't compare ourselves to other people. That that brings pride. Comparing ourselves to others at times brings pride because who do we choose to compare ourselves to? So many times people that aren't doing as well as us. In fact, when people are doing better than us, then we hate them sometimes. I hate that. Have you ever heard that, that phrase? Like someone's life is going great and people say, I just hate her. I hate him. And I just think that's, that's ridiculous. And yet genuine humility 
if it comes from the inside out and we're pursuing humility, we never get there. Because if we got there, wouldn't we be kind of proud about that? Like, hey, I've arrived, you know, I'm, I'm humble now and I made it. You know, I, if you need lessons on it, you know, just follow me and, and maybe you too can learn to be humble. Um, genuine humility isn't something that, that can be worked up. Spurgeon said this, and I love this quote, the imitation of humility is sickening. The reality is attractive. So when someone is a, a false humility, have you ever been around people that have a false humility? It, it's just sickening because you can tell they're, they're faking it to try to be humble. But when someone is truly humble, then, then it's very attractive. It doesn't mean that they, they see themselves like downers, like, oh, you know, like they don't have an Eeyore mentality. They just see themselves in light of who God is. And they have an honest, um, an honest evaluation of where they are compared to who God is. It doesn't mean that they don't recognize gifts and talents that they have and, and the way that God uses them. But when we humble ourselves, one of the things that happens is we can become stepping stones rather than stumbling blocks. Jesus last week talked about um, offenses must come, but woe to the person that those offenses come by. Now, none of us should intentionally try to be offensive. Uh, some people have the gift of being offensive. They just, they enjoy that. It's just fun to offend other people. That's, that's not what God wants us uh, to be or to do. And yet, if we are really going to be humble, if we are going to pursue humility and, and be a stepping stone, then it means that there are times of self, self-examination. Not a morbid, overly introspective, morose, sad countenance. But what it means is it's a, a regular coming before the mirror. Now, when you wake up in the morning, your mirror tells the truth every morning, right? <laughs> it's like you have sleep lines on your face. Your hair's all, you know, funky and sticking up. And, and you just look at yourself and like, oh, wow. You know, the mirror doesn't lie, right? Well, the Bible doesn't lie. And, and the Bible is our mirror. Because we look to God's mirror, we look to the word of God, and and if we are going to have this self-examination, it means that we compare ourselves to what God's word says. In fact, one of the the advantages of reading God's word for yourself, of being a self-feeder, you know, as as Calvary Chapel, one of the things that we, we really want to go through the word of God, but it is not enough to do that on Sunday mornings. I have to be in the word of God for myself you have to be in the word of God for yourself. And when that happens, what ha- it, God's Holy Spirit, when we're open to God's spirit, the Bible becomes like this mirror showing us who we really are. It, it's that discerner of our thoughts and the intents of our hearts, and it reveals blind spots. Now, how do you know if you have a blind spot? You know, I often ask, how many of you have blind spots and people don't raise their hand? But you wouldn't know, right? Unless you, <laughs> I mean, if you didn't, if you knew about it, it wouldn't be a blind spot. And the way that God reveals blind spots many times is through the word of God. He also uses others, but it's primarily through being open to the Holy Spirit. But when he reveals something, if God reveals something about your character, or about my character, what do I do with that information? Well, the next step is self-denial. And self-denial is really, really hard. That's why Jesus talked about it in this context. He said, whoever wants to follow me, that's the definition of a disciple, follower. I'm a follower of Christ. Whoever wants to follow me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross daily and come after me. So if I really want to be his disciple, 
there is self-denial that is involved in it. A person that lives in, in this, this uh, self-denial, um, it doesn't mean that we're not, uh, it doesn't mean self-denial in the sense of being deceived or self-deceived. It means we're not overly demanding when it comes to relationships. Are, are you demanding? Are you known for being really demanding? Like it's hard to be his friend. It's hard to be her friend because he's so, she's so demanding. Uh, we might say uh, words like high maintenance, but really what that is is demanding. Um, intimidating. It means we're not intimidating. A, a child, when Jesus said, you have to humble yourself like a child, um, no one is afraid of, well, maybe some of us are, but, but most of us aren't afraid of like the five-year-old. Now, as a teacher, yeah, that can be intimidating when you have a bunch of five-year-olds in front of you. But for the most part, um, there's not this intimidation factor. And yet with so many of us, even within the body of Christ, there's, there's an intimidation of being even approachable. And I think it's really sad if as Christians, we're not approachable. Jesus said uh, to one of the children, you know, come over here. And that child came to him, which tells me something about Jesus's disposition that the child didn't run away. The child felt comfortable coming to Jesus. And when it comes to self-denial, it also means we are not primarily about our rights. Yes, we have rights. As Christians, as citizens, yes, there are rights. But to be a follower of Christ is not primarily about our rights. Jesus laid down his rights. He laid down himself. He, he laid down his will. And so being a stepping so, stone is very difficult. It, it hurts at times. So in dealing with this uh, humility that God wants us to have as our disposition, read with me what it says in Matthew eighteen fifteen. It says, moreover, if your brother sins against you, or sister in this context, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he hears you, you have gained your brother. So if we are going to exist in this kingdom, it's really God's kingdom, and he gives us ways of dealing with one another. He gives us principles. One of the things is we have to be honest. Honesty must be a part of a relationship. If it's not, then that relationship, it might be peaceful, but it's not really honest. Now, sometimes we could not be really honest because we want to keep the peace, but that's not a, a true uh, you know, oneness in that relationship. And, and first of all, we have to be honest with self. To be honest with self, um, it means that we have to realize that we have to deal with our own oversensitivity. Now, if this message is for you, um, I want to be really sensitive here for those of you that are oversensitive, okay? I'm going to say this in all sensitivity, you need to get over it, okay? <laughs> so if you're a super sensitive person, sensitively, I'm saying get over it. And I'm saying that to myself as well because uh, there are times that, man, we could be so sensitive. It, it's, uh, I have a friend that, that calls these people porcupine people. You get too close and you're going to get pricked, you know, and, and porcupine people, they're okay from a distance, but when you get too close, eventually, you know, you're going to get some sticker, some, some needle. Jesus here, it would be wrong to say that Jesus is commanding us that every time someone sins against us, that we confront them and that we bring them, you know, to this place of repentance. He's not commanding us to bring every sin done against us to our brothers and sisters in Christ. 
We're to bear with one another in love. And that means percentage-wise, I don't know what the percentage is. What is the percentages of things that I deal with that conflict and bring it to the person and the percentage of things that I just say, hey, you know what, Lord, I'm gonna let it go because you let so many things go in my life. And the percentage has to be so much higher of things that we just, we just let it go. Um, and yet, when it comes to dealing with self, we also have to realize that even in times when there really is an offense, most offenses that we take, think about the phrase, I take offense to that. So I'm, I'm purposefully, intentionally, I'm taking offense at times. Most of the times when we take offense, it's because of one thing, pride. My pride has been hurt. Um, there's something where you didn't honor me, you didn't respect me, uh, you didn't say thank you, you didn't compliment me, uh, someone else uh, got credit for something that I really did, um, you asked someone else to help you with this thing, whatever those things are. And I'll tell you that so many times pride just gets in the way. Now, Jesus gives us ways to deal with transgressions. Because sometimes there are real things that people do against us that are very hurtful. And it is their fault. And, and you know, it really is a transgression at times. But the reason why Jesus wants to work it out is not only because he wants us to think about the kingdom first. It's because he genuinely wants us to love each other. Now, this is different. Now, you're going to have to bear with me in the way that God works in my mind to, to kind of try to get into my mind, which is a scary thing. Um, you remember Amos was a prophet. Uh, Amos, God said to Amos, what do you see? He said, I see a basket of summer fruit. And he says, very well, what do you see again? I see a basket of fruit. Now it's becoming rotten. So God uses things that we relate to. For me, many times it's, it's team sports because I was a coach. And I'm a, a huge Laker fan, which by the way, I'm taping the game. It's, it's game one of the playoffs. It's just beginning today. If you didn't know that, then man, you're missing out. Um, but, but the Lakers used to have these two guys, Kobe Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal. And these two guys, it came out later on, they didn't like each other, but they played on the same team. And what you had was a, a soap opera on a team. Now, because they wanted to win a world championship, they put away their differences and they put away their personality quirks because winning as a team was more important than their hurt feelings as individuals. And the thing that I think about is this, if they could do it for something like a game, for basketball, how much more can we do it for accomplishing things in the kingdom of God? Now, that's not the only thing. If that were it, then that means that we could just not like each other, we could just not get along, and say, it's all about the kingdom. Just, I hate you, but it's about the kingdom. So let's just... You know, you, uh, you just do your thing and I'll do my thing. And, and uh, you know what? It's about the kingdom. And that's, that's not what Jesus is saying. You know what he's saying? He's saying that he genuinely wants us to love each other, to be concerned for one another. So that when that happens, people that don't have a relationship with Christ see what we have and say, I want that. Jesus said, all men will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. So it's not just about, it is about the kingdom. So yes, we do have to put aside differences at times to accomplish things in the kingdom, but it's not just about accomplishing things. It really is about being one because we're his, his kids. And as his kids, he's our father. And any of you parents know it is terrible to have disunity in your own family. 
You want to have your kids getting along because they're your family and you love them. You want them to love each other. So with that honesty, it's not only being honest with self, it's also being honest with others. That means that we don't sugarcoat things. That means that we don't lie in order to keep peace. Um, It's not about sugarcoating things. It's not about putting a spin on things. But let me tell you what it is also not. Being honest also does not mean being brutal. There's a a phrase, being brutally honest. (laughs) Okay, God's not telling us be brutal in our honesty. We're to speak the truth in love. So as we speak the truth in love, it means that um, we don't have to be dishonest, but we don't have to say everything that comes into our mind. <laughs> Sometimes people say just whatever's on their mind and just say, I just speak what's on my mind. You know, that's just who I am. I'm just a truthful person. You can be truthful and shut up. You know, you can be truthful and, and not say it. You can just keep that to yourself. You don't have to say everything that comes into your mind. In fact, the Proverbs talk about that person that speaks everything that they want to speak whenever they want to speak it, that person, the Bible says, and I'm not saying it, the Bible says you're a fool if you say everything that comes to your mind, whatever you want to say. So when things need to be said, um, when there is the motive of truthfulness, uh, the motive of love, then we are to do it, first of all, in privacy. Notice I said privacy, not piracy. Um, because it's been said before that loose lips sink ships, okay? Loose lips sink ships. So when it comes to privacy, we are to go to people, first of all, individually. First of all, we are to go alone. And it is true that loose lips sink ships, uh, friendships, their relationships. It is the worst feeling in the world, and, and you know what I'm talking about. When you have said something to one other person in confidence about another person at some point in your life, and that person has heard about it and comes to you, man, that is a bad feeling. Now, sometimes we don't mean to. Sometimes it's just, it just came out. We weren't trying to be gossips or anything like that. But at times, honestly, we have. At times, what we're trying to do is we're trying to get enough support for our point of view so we feel okay about it. So that when the confrontation comes, we, we already have this base of, of support or we feel okay about ourselves. Galatians 6.1 says this. It says, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of, listen to this, gentleness. Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted the goal in confrontation the goal in going to someone in private one-on-one is not to win that is not the goal the goal is restoration the goal is restoration of relationship the goal is restoration of what is right the goal is unity so when that happens god desires for us to go to the person in private now what do you do if someone comes to you And this is real key for the kingdom. It's really key for us as a church going forward. It's key in ministry because it doesn't mean that someone in an official capacity of ministry um, is outside of the rules that Jesus sets up for his kingdom. So if I share something as a prayer request, because I'm a pastor, it it, it doesn't, this rule applies to me as well. If someone hurts me, someone offends me, 
I'm not to go to other people and say, hey, pray for this person. This person's being divisive. I'm to pray about it. I'm to say, Lord, am I being oversensitive? God, is there pride? Lord, what is my heart? What is my motive for this person? I'm to pray that God gives me a heart of love. And then if the Lord prompts me to go to that person, I'm to go to that person in private. Now, if someone comes to you and says, hey, did you hear or or so-and-so did this to me or so-and-so said this, what should you do? One of the things that you should do gently is to say, what did they say when you talk to them about it? What do you mean? What did they say? I'm not, I'm not talking to them about it. I'm talking to you about it. Well, you're supposed to talk to them about it because that's what scripture says that we're supposed to do. How many relationships would be saved? How many conflicts would be avoided if people simply did this? And here's a great thing. This works in the church and it works outside of the church. Um, there is a, uh, there's a guy in Washington. Um, his name is David Barton. Uh, if you know much about the spiritual heritage of our nation, he's a really solid guy. He speaks regularly before the Supreme Court. He testifies regularly of documents in, in our founding documents, the Constitution, and he's brought to the court. And one of the things that he has learned to do very well, because he is, is called in secular environments to come forward, is this phrase, which we could all learn from. We need to think biblically and sometimes speak secularly. So what does that mean? It means if, if I am called upon in my business, in more, my corporation, in my school, and, and I quote to all of my employees, Jesus said, you know, you're supposed to do this. It says in Matthew chapter 18, you kind of turn them off, but, but I'll tell you one of the things that you could do is say, hey, you know what? One of, one of the great teachings is this, that if, if there's a conflict, you should just go to someone individually. If you want to know my reference for that, I'll, I'll let you know. That opens up a door for them to say, well, where'd you get that? Well, Jesus said that. But if we simply applied that in our context, in our situation, how many conflicts would be avoided? And so we're to go to the person alone. Now, what happens if there's a fear factor because you have gone to the person alone and they don't listen to you? In fact, they flipped it on. Have you ever tried to talk to someone even gently and they flipped it on you. And somehow or another, you came out of there feeling like, it's my fault. It's all me. And then you think about it going, no, no, they really did do this. They, in public, they really did say this about me or they really did hurt me. How do we deal with it? The next thing after privacy is we have to ask for help sometimes. Now, we don't like to do that. Sometimes we like to just uh, deal with everything on our own. But I'll tell you, if we get to a stopping point and, and it's not working... Then, then go to someone else. It says this in, read with me, verse 16. It says, but if he will not hear, take with you one or two more that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. Now, now let me explain what that means. It doesn't mean that necessarily you have to get two people that are angry. Uh, you have to get two people that, that feel the same way. You've heard them be mad about this person, so you're gonna go to them as well. One of the purposes um, in, in having two or three witnesses is that so people can listen to the conversation that is going on and to kind of be neutral as a witness. Yes, he said this, and then he said this, or she said that, and then she responded in this way. That's, that's really 
the main reason is so that there's someone else there that's kind of neutral that can listen. Now, at times in the listening, that person also helps to render judgment and says, hey, you know what, Matt, you're right, but you're also not seeing this. And they, they might point some of those things out in me as well. If I'm bringing um, you know, an offense and I'm saying, here, could you sit with us? They also might bring something out with me. So where do you find the right person? Do not go to someone that is a gossip. Don't bring that person in as the person that is going to help out. Because before you know it, you have a public trial rather than a private conversation. And so um, you also, I just really highly recommend someone that you see as being mature. Just being a mature person that follows Christ. Someone that, that holds to God's word as an authority. Because eventually in this conflict resolution, my authority has to come from somewhere outside of myself. So you go to that person. But if that person still will not listen, even after you take one person or, or you take another person with you, then it says in verse 17, which some crazy stuff here, the authority of the church that God holds up, Jesus here is the one speaking, says, if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. Now, how do we do that? We use a megaphone here. That's what, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. We don't, we don't do that. Um, what does it mean to tell it to the church? It, it doesn't mean that you must come up here when someone has offended you and two people have verified that. And I'm just telling the whole church, you go to a pastor. You go to someone that, that has been given that authority in, in the community of God's people. And you go to that person and say, hey, look, this is going on. Is that easy? No. I, I don't, I'm just letting you know, I don't want to deal with stuff like that. But I do want to deal with stuff like that if it means peace and if it means unity in the body of Christ. Because it, it says, that, again, look at this. It says, if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Um, so speaking to the community of faith, Jesus is talking here. People have taken this out of context to say, let that person be like a heathen or a tax collector. Um, so that means you treat them mean and you throw rocks at them? Is that what that means? No. It means you treat them with love and you treat them in a way that you realize they're not acting as a believer. Right now, they're not acting as a follower of Christ. Um, I've dealt with this time and time again with counseling situations, conflict resolution, where one person simply will not listen to the counsel of God's word. They just, they are hard and fast in their, their way. They're digging in their heels. They don't want to listen. And I just have to realize at that point in time, you can't twist their arm. You know, we're not doing MMA here where, you know, we're doing a submission hold in my office. We're, we're actually realizing, okay, this person is not going to listen to the Lord. So we have to realize we pray for that person. We treat them in love. But the things that they say we can't, necessarily, um, we can't necessarily think that they're acting as a believer when they just want to go the way that they want to go. And so in verse 18, again, I'm, I'm so glad to be able to teach on this because it's a, a scripture that so many times is taken out of context. Again, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, 
I am there in the midst of them. In the context, this is speaking of conflict resolution and church discipline. So things that are bound and loosed, yes, there may be other applications. You know, when we pray, where two or more are gathered in my name, that he's there in the, in the midst of us, that's true. But did you know he's also in the midst of me? <laughs> okay, if I'm alone and I'm praying, it doesn't mean that Jesus is not here because I'm alone. Now, if I am with someone, yes, he is in the midst of us. But specifically, this is speaking of in the church, when it comes to the authority that Jesus gives to the church, if there is a conflict and we agree on something and you have already brought it to another one or two believers, then you've brought it to the church and we've prayed through it and we look at it scripturally that, yeah, Jesus, if we say this is forgiven, yeah, you know what, let it go. If we say, you know what, this person is not acting scripturally and, and they're not listening and so we need to deal with this, um, it's saying that, that in that context, that God honors those things. Now, what should be made public? What should be made be uh, public beyond a conflict between two people? Things that have an effect on more than that circle. Let me give you an example. If a CEO of a corporation is stealing from the corporation, embezzling funds, and then that CEO comes to another, you know, the CFO, the chief financial officer, and says, you know what? I'm really sorry. I've been stealing millions of dollars. Will you forgive me? Oh yeah, I forgive you. Let's just keep that between us. No, the circle must be bigger than that because it affects everyone in that company. But if it's between a husband and wife, it doesn't need necessarily to be brought public, you know, to other people. But I'll tell you what, if there is someone that is actively, um, if someone is actively pursuing adulterous relationships, and is actively trying to seduce people, then yeah, you gotta be careful of that person. If someone comes into the church and they're trying to actively teach false doctrine, and, and, and I'm not talking about the minors in which we have variances of difference. I'm talking about the majors of salvation in the Bible and who Jesus is, and someone will not listen and is trying to steal people away. At some point, if I had to warn you, I would do that because as a shepherd, that's my, that's my responsibility to say, watch out. So the context of this is, is really important. And it's also important to understand that what this looks like in the body of Christ. I want you to turn with me to an example of this. Turn to 2 Corinthians. So you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, and then First and Second Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We could put this on a screen. Sometimes we'll do that, but I, I just think it's so important for you to be in the Word of God. I love to see heads go up and then heads go down and looking in your Bibles. Um, you know, we need to learn our weapon well, uh, our sword. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, But if anyone has caused grief, um, he has not grieved me, but all of you to some extent, not to be too severe, this punish, punishment, which was inflicted by the majority, is sufficient for such a man, so that on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. For to this end, I also wrote that I might put you to the test whether you are obedient in all things. Now, whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. Notice this, the binding and the loosing. If you as a church, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. 
He's addressing a public sin that they've had to deal with in 1 Corinthians, and he told them to deal with it. And he said, you dealt with it, but now because it's been severe and you don't want this person to be swallowed up in, in discouragement, comfort him and forgive him, lest he would be too sorrowful. And notice he says, if you have forgiven this, I have also forgiven this. See this binding and loosing that is happening here? It says, for indeed, I have forgiven anything if I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. And in verse 11, notice the reason why. Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. One of the ways that Satan likes to divide is to cause hurt within the body of Christ and to cause division. Now, practically, let me explain the context of this. If Paul said to the Corinthian church, and and here's the situation, what was happening. There was a man in the congregation that was committing adultery with his mother-in-law. Okay, so this is a a stepmother, mother-in-law, I can't remember. Which one is it? Stepmother. So as this happens, um, they, they said, hey, you need to confront him, and then you need to put him out. Put him out of, of the body of Christ. Don't let him come into the gatherings because he is, he's being offensive and he's hurting the overall body of Christ and he won't listen. So it says that the person repented. The person changed. He was sorry. He said, I have sinned. And now what Paul says to the church is let him back in and forgive him and love him because Satan wants to come in and discourage this person so much that the person never comes back. Now, again, think about this in the early church. This is less than 100 years after the time of Christ. The church is gathered together. And as the church gathers together, if someone was asked not to attend, they wouldn't go down the street to the Presbyterian, to the Baptist, to the, the Foursquare, to the assembly. They, they wouldn't just say, well, you know what? They're not treating me right here. I'm just going to go down the street to this church. And they don't know my history and they don't know my background. And I could just come in and not deal with conflict. As part of the body of Christ and and having the Holy Spirit within us, God calls us to deal with things in a supernatural, not a natural way. The natural way is to write people off. They, They hurt me, I just wrote them off, that's it. The supernatural way, the way that would honor God is to deal with those things. And therefore, when it comes to church discipline, man, I'll tell you, it's really hard in our day and age because... Not only can someone leave, they can leave and blog. <laughs> they can leave and just start blogging about it and just start, hey, this church is abusive and saying, and it's so complicated in, in the world in which we live, but that doesn't excuse us from not dealing with things the way that Jesus wants us to deal with things. So when it comes to um, conflict, those are the ways that God wants us to deal with things. And what is the purpose? The purpose is restoration. Again, it is to win them. Notice it says that you, may, you have won your brother. It says to win them, not beat them, okay? So sometimes we just want to win in the wrong way. So we go to the authority of the church. But then the next thing we do is it leads to forgiveness. Read with me what happens in verse 21. Now, now I'm sure Paul, I mean Peter, I'm sorry, listening to this, is kind of maybe thinking about some people in his life. Maybe this morning you're thinking about some people in your life. And Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? 
And I, I think that Peter is exaggerating. I think he is being, you know, he's using hyperbole on purpose because of course Jesus wouldn't want me to forgive this many times. So he says, how many times should I forgive him? Up to seven times? Like, that's a lot. You know, this person has hurt me, done the same offense. And, and should I forgive him up to seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Now, I want to ask you a question. Has Jesus stopped, has God stopped forgiving you at 490? Man, 490 was day one, right? When you became a Christian, 490, that's day one. What about day two? Now, if Jesus and his forgiveness of us is always there, it is always constant. What Jesus is saying, he's saying this, lose track, lose count. He's not telling you to keep this little paper in your pocket. And every time you have these little tick marks, you know, there's one, two, three, four, five, five, 10, 15, 20, 20, you know, you're, you're adding up and man, 489, you just can't wait. You're smiling when this person comes into your presence because you're just going to blast them because you know, he's on number 490. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, you know what? Just make it a lifestyle. And in order for us to do this, you know what we have to do? We have to determine ahead of time to live in forgiveness. You can't determine when the offense happens to forgive. You have to determine ahead of time that I will live in this state of forgiveness. If you're married and you go through every conflict and every conflict, you have to decide, am I gonna forgive this one? Am I gonna forgive this one? You know what? You're in for a world of hurt. Now it is hurtful. It is difficult anyway, but, but that marriage is not gonna last. You have to live in a state of forgiveness to say, I'm gonna cover my spouse in love ahead of time. And if you live in that way, then what happens is you'll, you'll see that God honors that in your life. Now, Jesus here tells this illustration um, of, of forgiveness, and I just want to read it with you, and then we'll, we'll close. There, there's a, an illustration, because really when we don't forgive, there are two captives, right? Um, it's been said before that having bitterness in your heart towards someone is like you drinking poison and expecting them to die, okay? It's like, I'm drinking poison, I'm drinking poison. Nothing's happening to them. Just keep drinking poison. And, and yet with bitterness, that's how we are at times. But, but when we forgive, two captives go free. And Jesus gives this illustration of the debtor, the creditor, and the prisoner. The debtor, verses 23 through 27. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants, and when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him. Notice he humbled himself, said, Master, have patience with me. I will pay you all. There's repentance. And the master of that servant was moved with compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. Now understand this that the amount of the debt, the, the talent, this is like a, an annual wage. So will he ever be able to pay this back? Basically what Jesus is saying is that there is a, a, an amount owed that is so much that he would never be able to pay it back. And guess, guess what that's a picture of? It's a picture of me and you. Because when it comes to my sin and it comes to paying the debt, I owe and I owe and I owe, I will never be able to pay back. 
but Jesus has forgiven. So notice there's true repentance and then there's forgiveness. But then something happens to this guy that's forgiven and he becomes the creditor in verse 28. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now this is an amount that can be paid back. And he laid hands on him and he took him by the throat. Man, this is intense. He's, you know, he's doing the Darth Vader thing. And he says, pay me what you owe. You know, he's holding the guy up. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and he begged him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Notice he said the same words. And in verse 30, and he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. Which means that in prison, it's really hard to earn anything, to pay anything back. And in verse 31, I want you to notice who notices this. When his fellow servants saw that what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Now, this guy that was the debtor now became the creditor. And notice that he had a blind spot and he didn't see himself in this harsh way. But everyone else saw it. Notice it says in verse 31, his fellow servants saw what had been done and they were very grieved. You know what? Sometimes it is good to go to other people that you trust, that are spiritual, that are, that are solid, that won't be gossips and say, hey, in this situation, am I wrong? You know why we don't do that? Because we don't want anyone to tell us, yes, yeah, you're, you're wrong, you know? So we don't ask and we just, in our minds, build our own case and it becomes a blind spot. And when that happens, notice he becomes a prisoner. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the tortures until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly father will also do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Now I want to be forgiven, don't you? So Jesus says, well, then you need to be able to forgive others. In fact, Jesus, when he taught us to pray, he said, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who trespass against us. So this morning, as we close, what God calls us to, for some reason, my slideshow is off. There it is. God calls us to live in grace. In Colossians 3, 12 through 15, it says, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies. And I just want you to allow this to sink in. Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, not short suffering, long suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection and let the peace of God Rule in your hearts to which you were also called in one body and be thankful. Let me, let me conclude with these applications. Pray. Does it mean when you're offended, you immediately run to the person? No, you pray. When you go to the person, go to the person and don't say, you are a jerk. You know, that? don't set them on edge. Don't come in a harsh way. When you said that, when you did that, when you didn't pay me back, when, you, when I shared a prayer request with you in private and I heard it back from other people, I felt this way. Be very specific. It's not you are 
you know, overall picture, you're evil and I'm good and you need to become good. No, it's when you did this, this is how I felt. This is what I need from you. I'm asking from you. You know, would you, next time I share something with you, would you keep that in confidence? Would you, even if you can't pay me back, at least let me know. Don't, don't ignore my phone calls. Don't, don't act like I don't exist. When I come into a room, don't act as though I'm not there. And then realize that in our conflict resolution styles, everybody's different. And we need to learn to live with each other in love. Some people want to win. If that is your conflict resolution style, you need to back off and you need to love the other person. Some people just want to appease. Whatever you say, whatever you say, because it's, it's whatever they want. Okay, go ahead, whatever you want. No, you know what? Sometimes God wants us to deal with truth. He wants us to deal with the real issue. Silence is the worst. If you think I'm just dealing with it on my own, but you're still angry and you're silent, that doesn't accomplish anything. Compromise, it kind of meets halfway, and that's better than the other ones, but the best is to resolve. Decide to forgive ahead of time. Try to come to that resolution. And the bottom line is forgive as God has forgiven you and live in grace. And when the body of Christ lives in grace, it is a place, it is a community that I just, I believe with all of my heart, not only do I want to be a part of, but people just say, I just want to be a part of that. I just want to be a part of a community that lives in grace, that forgives and realizes that we're not perfect. And as we have been forgiven, we want to forgive others. And as we do that, I I am absolutely confident that God will be glorified. And you know what? It will be a great way to bring people into the kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you, first of all, and respond to your message this morning. Lord, we want to begin, first of all, by asking that you would forgive us. Father, forgive me, forgive us. Lord, as your Holy Spirit points things out, Lord, may we, um, may we know that you love us unconditionally, and, and I pray that that would drive out the fear in that confession, because Lord, you, you forgive us well beyond the 490. Lord, you cast our sin as far as the east is from the west. You blot out our transgression because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, and so we just want to say, God, forgive us, and then Lord, we just want to say thank you. Lord, thank you for that forgiveness. And now, Lord, as we consider this message, if there is someone that has hurt us, Lord, maybe it's not even someone that has hurt us recently. We may have been holding on to the baggage of bitterness for decades. Lord, tonight, today, we just want to let it go. We just want to say, God, um, help us to forgive as you have forgiven us. Help us to live in a state of grace, not only receiving it, but giving it. And then, Father, as we worship you with our our singing, with our our tithes and offerings, Lord, we pray that it would be from gratitude. It would be from truth, not out of guilt, not out of uh, compulsion, not out of religiosity, but because, Lord, you have touched our hearts, you have changed us, we want to be obedient to that. Father, we thank you for providing for us. We ask that you would um, use these tithes and offerings for your glory, Lord, to reach more that they would be used, Lord, to reach people in the kingdom and in the community. And then, Lord, we, as a body, we just want to say, Lord, we want to live in this state of grace ahead of time, that when we are hurt by someone else in the body of Christ, that we would choose to live in this way. So, God, thank you. Thank you for your grace and your love and mercy. And help us to worship you and honor you by 
by not only our singing, but the state of our hearts. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.